Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again, Steve Wilson back, continuing our study through Matthew. We are in chapter 22. We have worked our way down to um, verse 23. Jesus has just finished addressing the Pharisees who had come together jointly with the Herodians, which we talked about that being such an odd uh, combination. But um, anyway, he's done that. Now in verse 23, he begins to talk with the Sadducees. Of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the two um, primary uh, leadership sects, S-C-C-T-S, within the Jewish community. So in verse 23, <clears throat> they, uh, they come to Jesus pretty much doing the same thing that the Pharisees had done, trying to trip him up on a question. They come at it from a little bit of a different angle, and, and I just want to say here that this particular section is uh, kind of personal for me. I'm sitting out here today in Florida at my daughter's house out by the pool, a little bit overcast today because we're expecting rain from the perimeter of uh, Hurricane Ian that's going through the state right now. And so I'm just kind of relaxing out here by myself. Everybody's gone, and I'm reading over this passage. And every every day I do my devotions and um, remember um, in the process my wife, I have a bookmarker with a picture on it in my Bible that I keep my place with, and so kind of talk to her every day and um, think about her being in heaven. And so, you know, that's what this particular passage is about. And there's a particular point that Jesus addresses when we get there that really cuts my heart, but I have to bow to Scripture. Um, And we'll talk about it when we get there. So, you know, and that's the angle that the Sadducees are coming from because they don't believe in the resurrection. So let's get into the verses. It says, The same day uh, came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. So they don't believe that there is, you know, that when you, they believe when you, you die, you die, and that's the end of it. They, they didn't believe that uh, you, you were resurrected, and you know, in, in heaven, and that there's an eternal life that exists. So... Uh, says and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. So they're addressing this from what they believe to be a doctrinal standpoint, and they're, of course, trying to get him to trip himself up. Um, 
to either agree or disagree with them. You know, they're, they're being facetious in the way they're asking this question. They're trying to make it sound like it's silly to believe in a resurrection, and they're presenting a scenario that, you know, they think is going to make it sound like a silly concept that there would be a resurrection. Um, you know, they're, they're coming to it to this argument from a point of extremism. But let me go ahead and read the argument. It says, Now there were uh, with us seven brethren, and the first when he had married a wife deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, unto the second also, and the third also, and to the seventh. So they're saying the law says, of course, when you die, you know, then your wife goes to your brother. And the last of all, the, and last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And so they think that they're asking this question and it's going to trip Jesus up once again, just like the Pharisees thought. You know, so it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. And, uh, you know, they're expecting him to give some silly answer or something like that. Or they, they've got in mind that this is going to stump Jesus. So as I said, they're coming to him with an extreme point of view. You know, they're, they're using an extreme scenario, in other words, to present their case. You know, it, isn't it funny how we all, always do that? You know, when we want to argue something, we always imagine a worst-case scenario and use that as our argument, when in fact extremism is very rarely the actual case. It's kind of like the abortion issue where you have the pro-life and pro-choice people and the pro-choice their argument is always, <clears throat> well, you know, I don't, if you get raped or something of that nature, then you don't want to have that child. And, and so, therefore, abortion should be legal. Well, the truth of the matter is that less than 2% of abortions are done for that reason. 98% of the abortions that are done are done simply out of choice. They just don't want to bear the responsibility of raising a child. They want to go have their fun. They want to go enjoy, you know, the, uh, the, you know make whatever choices they choose and, and not suffer the consequences. And that's what abort or pro-choice is really all about. It's, it's about, um, <clears throat> you know, doing as you please and not suffering any consequence. Um, so in this case, they're doing the same thing. They're taking the, the, the less, least likely scenario and trying to present that as, the, as a vital argument, uh, you know, as if it's the majority of the case when, when it's, of course, I know society this day and age has uh, deteriorated to the point that uh, divorce is so prevalent and more people... Uh, are having multiple spouses. I, I get that. That wasn't always the case. Um, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's a minor portion of the situation. So anyway, they have this argument that says, okay, so when you get to heaven, who you're married to? You know, if you've been married multiple times, who becomes your spouse in heaven? Now, this is the point that is very personal to me because in heaven I'm looking forward to seeing my wife again. She passed away earlier this year and I miss her terribly. I think about her every day. 
That pain never goes away, but the solace that I have is that I will see her again. I'm, she's not waiting for me. I'm actually waiting for her. There's no such, time, such thing as time in heaven. So I know that, you know, when my days are done here on this earth, I will see her again. And the 47 plus years that we spent together will be nothing compared to eternity. So I am really, of course, I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior. You know, predominantly, I want to see the one who died for me. Christ shed his blood, went to the cross, provided my salvation, washed away my sins. Number one, first and foremost, I want to see Jesus. But I want to see my family members that have gone on before me. I'm looking forward to seeing my dad who died 30-some years ago. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing aunts and uncles and, and other dear friends that I've had over the years in heaven. And I want to be able to sit and talk with them and enjoy life with them because we will indeed be alive, as Jesus points out here in a minute, and I'll cover that you know before we're done here today. Um, I am looking forward to all those things, but... But outside of Jesus, the number one, number one person I want to see is my wife. You know, I know she's there, and I know things are good. I know she's enjoying heaven, and that gives me peace. That gets me through this life. However, we have this scenario here where the Sadducees are saying, okay, so what's marriage going to be like in heaven? And Jesus says something that's... I have to admit, somewhat disconcerting to me because in verse, well, verse 29 says, Jesus answered and said to them, you do error, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And that's key, the power of God. I'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 30 says, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And we know the angels are sexless. There is no such thing as a marital relationship with them. And, you know, I know people are going to want to go back to that verse in Genesis where they try to argue that the sons of, uh, I forget the phraseology, but, you know, where um, the daughters of men married the sons of God. And they some so many people believe that's angels. I don't believe that. Um, that's another argument for another day. Um, you know, I don't believe they're capable of having that kind of relationship. Uh, and so it's disappointing to me, quite frankly, to think that when I get to heaven and I see my wife, it's not going to be a husband and wife type relationship. I'd like to think that there will be a special relationship for all those years we ministered together here on this earth and shared one another's lives and we became truly became one we took our vows seriously and yet here we are jesus says there's no such thing as marriage in heaven you know woman i i, I gotta look at scripture and see where you know woman was given a man for two reasons one was companionship and the other was procreation neither of those are necessary in heaven now Having said that, I think about the millennial reign, and it talks about children um, going to be in the millennial reign. Um, where do they come from? Well, perhaps they come from the people who were on earth when they went into the millennial reign, but that's a thousand years. 
it won't take long for them to grow into adulthood, 10, 15 years, and they're adults, so that's no longer the case. Um, so where do all the children come from? So that kind of gives me hope, you know, maybe there is some kind of procreation. I really don't know. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. And hope that somehow there is a special relationship that I can have with my wife again. But folks, it's not going to be like we think it will be. And, and I, I mentioned that part in verse 29. He says, you, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. However, not knowing the power of God, he has somehow, he can somehow make it all right. He can somehow make it all good. And we can know that there will be something there that will compensate for the feelings that we have now. So anyway, continuing on, we've just got a few minutes left. Um, he says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of, de of the dead, but of the living. So notice what he says here. He says, first of all, he identifies these patriarchs who have, are now no longer living, or no longer of this earth. And he says, I'm their God. He says, but I'm not a God of the dead. He says, I'm a God of the living. So what he's pointing out there is these people are still alive. They still exist. Now, where? They're not here. They're dead and gone. They're not on this earth anymore. So where could they possibly be? Well, they're in heaven. We believe they're in heaven. They're saved. The Bible says we go to heaven. We believe in heaven. We believe there's an eternal existence. God confirms that there is an eternal existence. You get these men here, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and of course the uh, inference there is that there are multiple others. They're not the only ones. God says they're still alive. And he says, I'm their God. He says, I'm, was, he's not saying I was their God in the past. He's saying, I am, present tense, their God. He says, I'm a God of the living. These guys are alive and well, and they're still serving me. So he's refuting their doctrine in what they believe, that there is no resurrection. He said they had to be resurrected because they were dead and buried. Well, if they're alive now, then they had to have been resurrected. So he's refuting that doctrine. And so when they all hear this, um, they're astonished. It says they're astonished at his doctrine. Folks, anytime God speaks, it's astonishing. Um, everything God says, everything God teaches us, everything God shows us is marvelous and wonderful and beyond our comprehension. We serve a God who is a wonderful God and, and, and these feelings that I have regarding my wife and looking forward to heaven and so on, they're all going to be resolved when I get there. It's all going to be good when that time comes. God will make a way for us to find satisfaction and joy and resolution when we get there. So look forward to that day. And I pray most of all that you've given your life to Him. And that if you haven't, that you will. So we're at the end of our time today. We'll pick up in verse 34 next time we come back. Goodbye and God bless.